0: Welcome, I'm Panayota Daphniotis and I'm your host for an intellectual property podcast series brought to you by Dentons Canada. This podcast series covers a broad range of intellectual property topics on patents, trademarks, copyrights, trade secrets, and related IP disputes with an emphasis on the practical, giving companies of all sizes and industries the IP intel they should be thinking about you can find our episodes at www.dentons.com on our podcast page there you can access all of our intellectual property podcasts as well as an episode description for each topic and information about our speakers we are currently living in unprecedented times and we hope all of our listeners are in good health and staying positive It is worth mentioning that we, like many of you, are working remotely. And so we are recording these podcasts from our respective new home offices. And we are excited to be able to do so and bring this content to our listeners. And now, over to our podcast topic and speakers. Today's podcast is aimed at addressing the impact of insolvency, on intellectual property rights. With me today is Sam Gabor, a senior associate and registered trademark agent in Denton's Calgary office. Sam has a very distinct hybrid practice that focuses on restructuring, insolvency, and bankruptcy, as well as intellectual property law. Sam has knowledge, skills, and an array of experience in both practice areas. As for myself, I'm Panayota Daphniotis, a partner and national lead for the Intellectual Property Group at Dentons Canada. I have 25 years experience as an IP lawyer, working in all areas of intellectual property, helping companies manage, grow, and commercialize IP portfolios globally, protect their innovation, and manage IP risk. So, Sam, thank you for, for being uh, with us today and uh, bringing your, uh, your insights uh, to us. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the, 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 the podcast today is aimed at addressing insolvency and in IP rights. And uh, we know that this is particularly relevant uh, today in, in the context, whether we're talking about investment, Um, technology co-development, collaboration, or licensing opportunities that may exist between different parties working on innovative solutions and initiatives. And companies are uh, most certainly in those collaboration initiatives thinking about the expertise uh, of the party that they're working with, but there is also the intellectual property rights associated with that expertise and that innovation that's very res- relevant to the commercial relationship between the parties, and um, it, you know it, it is uh, it is a given that understanding how IP assets um, and any related rights, including licenses, may be affected by the financial well-being of the party that you are uh, intending to work with. And when I say financial well-being, um, I'll sort of take it a little bit further, but. Uh, Uh, potential insolvency risk of the party that you are working with, particularly since collaboration, co-development, technology development, and all of those things are happening between companies of all sizes, um, in all industries, whether we're talking about startups or companies that are uh, on high uh, growth paths. And so today's topic, I think, really does resonate with many of our listeners and uh, we're excited to have you here to learn a bit more. So um, I thought a good place to start for this would really just be to start with the basics, Um, a general overview or maybe a refresher for some of our listeners on um, the three different types of insolvency proceedings, just to sort of lay the groundwork for where we intend to go with today's topic. So why don't you open that up for us and, and talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Thanks, Penagota, and thanks for having me on the podcast. There are three general types of insolvency proceedings in Canada, primarily under two federal statutes, the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act and the Companies' Creditors' Arrangement Act. Now, there's other types of uh, provincial mechanisms where quasi-insolvency proceedings can be taken, but... For the purpose of the podcast, I'm going to focus primarily on the, the BIA and the what's called the CCAA. So the three types of insolvency proceedings would be a debtor restruct- debtor-driven debtor restructuring, a receivership, and a peer bankruptcy. Um, the first, a debtor-driven restructuring, uh, there are two types available for a debtor under the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act in the CCAA. And in either case, the debtor remains in possession of the company, all of its assets, and essentially tries to restructure the business by taking certain steps such as uh, downsizing, retail locations, laying off certain employees, uh, refinancing, uh, finding new credit, Um, And then they maintain and control all of the assets through this process. And they will either ultimately try to make a proposal to their creditors, which will allow them to pay down their debts over a period of time. Or in the case of the CCAA, they may try to ultimately sell their entire business or make a proposal or sell off certain parts of the, the business including specific assets, which can include intellectual property. So oh, the, the general big picture is that the debtor remains in control of the business with the cooperation of their creditors, and they're trying to restructure the business for the benefit of themselves and, and their creditors. So that's, that's the first type of insolvency proceeding. Now, the second would be a lender or secured creditor-driven proceeding which is generally in the form of a receivership, where a generally a secured creditor has the right to appoint what's called a receiver, which is essentially a court officer uh, stepping in and taking control of the business and all the assets of the debtor to be able to uh, either generally sell off the business as a whole, uh, which would include all the intellectual property rights which exist or if there's no value in selling off the entire business as a whole, and there's more value selling off individual assets, they will market and sell off the individual assets. So that's sort of the, the second type. And the third would be a, a pure bankruptcy scenario where there's, there's no value in the company anymore. There's simply assets that exist. Uh, there's no ongoing concern of the, of the business and the company or a trustee in bankruptcy, which is generally a a accounting firm uh, such as Ernst & Young or PricewaterhouseCoopers, Alvarez and Marcel will come in. They will step into the shoes of the debtor. They will assess all the assets. They will determine who the, the debtors creditors are and they will liquidate all the assets to try to maximize recovery for the, the 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 creditors of the debtor, um, and that's a pure liquidation. So those are sort of the the three overall types of insolvency proceedings in Canada.
0: That's great. Okay, so we have these three types of insolvency proceedings, and let's zero in now to IP assets. And um, you know, maybe you can just describe with reference to IP assets how IP assets are handled um, in these three types of proceedings uh, and what might be special about how IP assets um, are handled in these proceedings.
1: Sure, yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. So uh, in a restructuring, the debtor will maintain control of the IP assets. So they will have to continue monitoring the IP assets. They will continue to have to uh, maintain any registrations which exists, they'll have to continue uh, maintaining any reporting requirements or requiring licensees to report back to them. Um, There will also be what's called uh, a monitor in a CCAA proceeding or a proposal trustee, which will sort of overview or provide an overview and uh, monitoring of the restructuring will also be be, uh, pervy to what's, happening by the debtor during the the proceedings Um, but the debtor will essentially maintain control of all those assets uh, and throughout the restructuring until there is a proposal in which case the the debtor will continue to maintain the assets or they are ultimately sold by the the debtor in in the uh, restructuring. Um, For the receivership, The receiver will come in, take control of all the assets, including the IP, and will do one of two things generally. He will market the entire business as a whole, uh, or they will come in and sell off all the assets, which would include the intellectual property uh, rights and assets specifically. Um, The receiver will go in, they will value the assets and they'll generally get third party opinions to determine whether the IP assets have any value. If they have no value, they may just abandon the assets and uh, leave them uh, or sell them for a de minimis value. Um, But if there is significant value, then they will take steps to market them to uh, businesses by contacting businesses that would be interested in purchasing the assets and this would all be done through a sales process in the receivership. Um, For the third, the, the bankruptcy, it would be a similar process as the receivership where the trustee in bankruptcy will come in and determine if there is any value to the IP assets. And if there is value, then they will take steps to market and sell the assets to try to maximize recovery for the unsecured creditors of the estate of the bankrupt.
0: Okay, that's, that's really clear. Um, I, I like the way you've laid that out. Now, this is where I think we, we really focus in, uh, in more detail on the impact um, of those proceedings. Now, so if I just tee this up a little bit more, if I'm company A and I'm working with company B, for example, to develop a new product, um you know some sort of co-development collaboration opportunity for example and uh company b has brought their ip rights to the table such so, you know as company a has but now company b is under one of these three scenarios of insolvency proceedings what do i need to know as company a on how those rights will be impacted so uh, maybe a long-winded way of, of asking you how will IP rights, IP assets, sorry I should say, be impacted uh, in particular with reference to the rights that go with them? And I, and I think that's probably a very big question. So to be fair and, and, and really to zero in on a point that is of particular interest these days, it's really in the licensing arrangement, sometimes there's there's cross licensing between these companies. Um, and, and, you know, there are rights being granted with reference to the IP assets being held in a company, and if that company is uh, under one of these insolvency proceedings, um, I think it would be interesting to hear um, what happens to those uh, to those assets and to those associated rights.
1: Sure. Yeah. And. Licenses are a primary mechanism of rights uh, that can be granted in intellectual property and it's one of the primary mechanisms. So you'll have a licensor who owns the rights in the IP and they're licensing off the rights to a licensee. Uh, And there are specific mechanisms and protections in the insolvency uh, legislation in Canada. Um, that uh, actually protect licensees in the event the licensor goes bankrupt um, and the reason for this was there previously was no legislation uh, in Canadian insolvency law which protected licensees and even if a licensee had the right to use the intellectual property if the IP was ultimately sold through an insolvency proceeding, the licensee would lose all their rights. So there has been a series of amendments to the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act and the Companies Creditors Arrangement Act uh, over the last uh, two decades, which have created protection for licensees to use license IP in the event uh, a licensor becomes insolvent um, and 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 just recently, as of last year, the legislation was uh, further amended to include all types of insolvency proceedings. So that would be the the types that we discussed at the beginning. So in a in a bankruptcy and insolvency act proposal proceeding or a company creditor arrangement act restructuring in a receivership or in a pure bankruptcy, there is protections for licensees. Uh, Uh, in those proceedings. So the the first protection that a licensee has is that if uh, an insolvent licensor's IP is sold to a purchaser in an insolvency proceeding, the sale isn't going to affect the rights of the licensee to use the IP during the remaining term. So that's important. It's just during the term of a license uh, on the basis that the licensee continues to perform their obligations under the existing licensing. So an obvious example would be if you have a license and you continue to pay for the the right to use it. So if you have a a monthly service fee that you have to pay, then you're allowed to continue to use it under the, use the IP under the legislation so long as you continue paying that fee. And so long as you continue to pay or not pay, so long as you continue to abide by the other terms of the contract. Um, the second protection that a licensee is going to have is if uh, one of the court officers in an insolvency proceeding. So, if there would be a trustee in bankruptcy or receiver in receivership, or if the debtor company itself uh, in a restructuring tries to, or in fact, disclaims the license, uh, the licensee will continue to have the right to use the IP so long as they continue to abide by their contractual obligations and essentially what a disclaimer is, uh, is when a uh, debtor in a restructuring or a court officer essentially tries to cancel the contract because there's no value in the contract anymore. It's not making any money for the general benefit of the creditors. So they cancel the contract and say the contract is cancelled, there's no value to it anymore. but in this case, a licensee will continue to have the right to use the IP even after it's disclaimed if the if they continue to abide by their contractual obligations. So that's that's the next sort of protection, um, and usually this will arise in a case of a non-exclusive license agreement where you may have uh, lots of licenses uh, to numerous parties, and the 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 uh, The insolvency, the insolvent party or the court officer will try to cancel as many as they can to maximize the value to the estate because the contracts are costing money, but you may have a series of licensees who are continuing to use it and and abiding by the terms of the contract. So by doing so, they can continue to use any IP uh, and and continue to have the IP rights under those licenses. now there's sort of two important points to, to point out with respect to the, the legislation. Um, the first is that there's actually no specific definition of intellectual property in the, in the legislation. So the, the general consensus among practitioners because of this is that intellectual property under the BIA and CCAA should be broadly interpreted and, and thus you can rely on other statutes for further meaning, so uh, including the Trademarks Act, the Copyright Act, the the regulations and case law. So uh, there's other avenues to determine what intellectual property means. But what this also means is that because there is no meaning, if you have some type of IP that may not be a, a general class of intellectual property, it's important that you include language in your licensing agreements so that whatever is being defined or licensed out as the intellectual property in that case is specifically defined so the parties know exactly what rights they have. And if there is an insolvency proceeding, the, the court officer and all the other parties that have uh, standing in the, in the proceedings know exactly what the intellectual property Rights are under the license agreement. Um, sort of the second point, too, is under the legislation, a licensee has the right to use the intellectual property during the term of the license, uh, but the, the keyword is the right, the keyword is use. There is no uh, reference to development of intellectual property, modification of intellectual property under the legislation so it's uncertain right now whether the meaning of use includes those concepts as 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 well or does it just mean that a licensee can only continue to use the ip and that's it they can't modify it they can't further develop it they have no other rights to other than that so there's no case law in canada right now so eventually there, there will likely be a case where this issue comes into play in terms of what exact rights a licensee has from you from the the meaning of use in that's and that's a really
0: important yeah and that's a really important nuance i just want to highlight that because uh, uh that is an important part of the the license the value of the license right
1: yeah depending on what the license is providing that 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 may be very important to a licensee that they have the right to continue modifying intellectual property. You know, if you have certain technology rights, you know, there may be research and development of the IP that uh, comes from a license agreement and those rights are very important because a licensee may need to continue to, to tinker with The intellectual property to to maximize the value of the license that it purchased so that that will uh that is an important concept um and then the third point which is sort of important from the licensee's perspective and we were discussing previously what may happen to ip in an insolvency proceeding is that even if uh you have these protections as a licensee to continue to use the ip if, if you're maintaining you know, your obligations under the license agreement if the ip is eventually sold to somebody else the value may diminish so you could potentially have someone purchasing the intellectual property under let's say a, a, a non-exclusive license agreement which previously existed and for example, they buy a bunch of trademarks and you, you as a licensee continue to have a right to use the trademarks for your product line, but someone else buys the trademarks, they then start using it with an inferior product line. The value of your use of the trademarks may diminish. So even though you have the continued right to use them and use the IP, your value uh or the value that you have in that ip may diminish nonetheless so the the protections are, are there but they're not uh, an absolute guarantee that the value of the ip that you've licensed is going to be absolutely maintained for you
0: yeah and and that's really um that's really important to highlight i know that in my uh, in my experience in dealing with different businesses and companies looking to uh, work with third parties where IP is central to the relationship and uh, IP licensing in particular will arise. Um, There is consideration really at the outset and there should be about what will happen when and I like to say you know it's you never hope for but you have to start with the end in mind. Um, oftentimes to to really prepare for for things like that and so what they're what they're worried about is you know embarking upon and investing uh, significant resources into a relationship um, and um, uh, you know a collaboration with another company when they may be at risk it may be a company that is at risk at becoming insolvent and so I think IP licensees or potential IP licensees should be thinking of all of those things uh, and exercising caution if they suspect uh, or think it's possible that an IP licensor is in fact at risk at becoming insolvent. Um, and uh, given that even with these new legislative amendments, you know, we're not able to preserve uh, the potential full value of licensed IP in all situations. And I think. Uh, that being said, what you are describing seems like really an, an important mark, um, you know, and a step towards better certainty, clarity for an IP licensee uh, that the rights that they are relying on in this relationship and in this collaboration will subsist um, in many circumstances. So, so certainly a lot to think about and uh, for companies to think about at the outset. And so, I think Sam, with that, um, I'd like to just ask you, you know. As as we wrap up here, you know, can you pick one or two best practices for our listeners to keep in mind as they are mulling over, you know, this topic and uh, moving ahead with uh, decisions uh, in terms of licenses and relationships with third parties?
1: Sure. Yeah, no. The first place to start, I would say, is determine what kind of financial wherewithal the licensor has you want to determine are they actually a stable ongoing concerned business or are they non viable when you begin licensing because your rights could be affected uh, in an insolvency proceeding so certain steps can be taken uh, including searches so you can perform uh, personal property registry searches to determine who may have security against the licensor, the intellectual property itself may be secured by a by a, by a, a secure lender or another party. Um, you can perform federal insolvency searches to see have, have, is this company in fact currently insolvent. You can perform court searches to see are they involved in any major litigation. Yeah, you can uh, perform uh, other types of due diligence searches, I would perform all your intellectual property uh, searches. So I would search the Canadian Intellectual Property Office to see do they in fact own the intellectual property in the registry. Uh, so I would for sure begin with your searches to see exactly the, the viability of the company do they in fact own the intellectual property you're looking to, to license. Um, the second would be is to make sure the terms of the contract that you're entering into are certain. So we briefly touched on it before. You're gonna wanna ensure that you define exactly what the intellectual property rights you are purchasing uh, because if they aren't properly defined and an insolvency proceeding arises, there could become uncertainty as to exactly what you licensed and what rights you have. So that's very important. Um, and then you also want to determine exactly what kind of license you have too. Do you have an exclusive license? So you're the only person that's entitled to use the intellectual property or have you licensed it on a non-exclusive basis? So you have other parties that are entitled to use it. So that will also, uh, you know, affect your rights uh, in the insolvency proceeding uh, and uh, the potential value for the intellectual property. Um, and then the third is um, just turning to the licensors uh, side, um, I would always ensure that you include terms in your contract, which allows you to terminate, uh, in the event, uh, that the licensee becomes insolvent, um, other than the licensee is insolvent or that they, they, they fail to make payments towards you because there are specific provisions under the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act and, and, and the federal legislation, which says that those two reasons, and again, so again, it becoming insolvent or failing to pay uh, amounts owing under a license agreement are not terms and conditions that allow you to terminate a contract uh, in an insolvency proceeding and specifically a proposal uh, to creditors when, they, when a debtor is trying to restructure so, it's important if you're a licensor that you have other terms in your contract which allow you to terminate the contract in the event there become issues with the, the licensee's use of the intellectual property. So, I, I always, I, if it's available uh, to include terms that give the licensor the right to monitor the usage of the IP and that the IP... Uh, has to be maintained to a proper standard, uh, that the licensee provides uh, reporting uh, at, at a particular time that's agreed upon, you know, it could be monthly, it could be quarterly, it could be annually, whatever the parties decide. Um, and then finally, that the licensee will maintain the goodwill of the intellectual property. And, and what that provides is a, a couple other avenues and mechanisms to allow the licensor to terminate besides an insolvency and non-payment because generally if a a licensee who's a a debtor and is trying to restructure the business is unable to pay for a license it, it means that the rest of the business typically is also failing at the same time so they may not be in a position to provide proper reporting. They may not be in a position to maintain the goodwill of the intellectual property. Um, so there's other mechanisms that are available to terminate a license agreement. And, and this will provide some certainty to uh, a licensor and, and protection uh, in the event that the licensee becomes insolvent.
0: And Sam, you're, you're absolutely right to highlight the fact that the insolvency risk that we are talking about here today uh, and the impact that it can have on IEP rights is not just a licensee issue. It is very much a licensor issue as well to be aware of and ensure that they there are measures in place in their contracts to to, to manage that risk over time. And so I guess as a quick recap of the best practices Do your due diligence, do your due diligence on the financial resiliency, on encumbrances, on ownership of um, of assets, IP assets in particular, uh, that the party that you're intending to do business with, collaborate with, co-develop with, invest in, you know, find that information out. Uh, Number one. Number two, make sure your contract is clear on the terms that you've highlighted, including uh, what's the IP. Um, that is being licensed or purchased. And uh, as, the, as mentioned just now, uh, an issue for the licensor as well to, uh, to consider and, and allow flexibility and termination rights in their contract. So those are really great uh, and helpful th- um, best practices for our listeners, Sam. So I think with that, um, we, uh, we've covered off the, the topic pretty well. So I wanted to thank you for being with me today. Your insights are incredibly valuable, and um, I appreciate your time. Thank you, Penny. That's it. Information provided during this episode should not be taken as legal advice. Denton's Canadian Intellectual Property Group has expertise that spans all areas of IP, patents, trademarks, copyrights, trade secrets, and related disputes and litigation. Our speakers from this podcast episode or any other professional in our group would be pleased to speak with you about today's topic or any other IP topic of interest. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for other episodes in our IP series. Stay well.